Scripture tonight is taken from Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20, and I invite you to read along with me. Hear now the word of the Lord. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told them. The word of the Lord. Well, I guess we're almost to Merry Christmas. Welcome here, everyone. Two things real quickly. Uh, January 6th is Epiphany. That is a feast day for the church, so we are going to have a potluck. So uh, keep that in mind. Come and bring something to eat. We'll all share that time together uh, on uh, two Sunday nights from now. Also, if you were able to be with us at the Change Center last week, uh, we had a lovely sharing of a story by Melanie. And we need one person who'll share a story with our children once a month. So if you could be that storyteller, uh, Melanie will teach you how to do it. So contact me or let her know afterwards. So it's the last uh, night of Advent, and we've been asking this question, uh, how do we wait on God in a liminal space? And, And that word liminal space just means a space of threshold, of transition, of in between, of of having left somewhere and moving somewhere. And, and we've been commenting that, you know, that can be kind of a challenging place to be. We've spent a couple of weeks thinking about how we meet God in a liminal space. And in the Bible, sometimes people move towards God in those deserts, and sometimes their faith falls apart. So how do we find God in that space? Well, I was thinking about that, and I was looking at this text that we're, Turner just read for us tonight. And at the same time, I had uh, just read uh, an article where the author was proposing this model of uh, the spiritual journey. He said that most Christians go through three phases. Uh, He called them order, disorder, and reorder. Now, someone, I I think Betsy Martin loves to say that uh, all models are flawed, some are useful. Uh, And uh, that's true with this model, too. Uh, I'm sure there are exceptions to the rule. But when I read it, I thought, you know, my, my life relates a lot to that. And a lot of the people in our congregation seem to be going through a similar kind of uh, season. And, and I think I saw the shepherds move through this. Now, as with the Bible, they move through it all in one night. And that normally is not <laughs> the case with us. But I thought we might kind of 
uh, see how they walk through this. It begins with the shepherds living a very peaceful, ordered life. They're in the same region as Joseph and Mary, so they've walked 90 miles south from Nazareth. They're outside of Bethlehem. It's, uh, it looks kind of like uh, the desert in New Mexico. It's very beautiful, very peaceful. And, and these folks have been uh, doing this job with their kids and their grandparents for thousands of years in the same place, in the same way. And as far as they knew, they'd always do it the same way after that. It's also, uh, the people that study these things tell us that they were Jewish. They, they were considered unclean because they worked with animals, so they wouldn't have been in the temple a lot. They wouldn't have known a lot of theology, but they would understand uh, the story of Israel, and so they had a very simple, pure faith. King David spent a lot of time as a shepherd. He actually wrote some of his psalms based on that, and here's kind of the, the, the faith of the shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. So verse 8 is a wonderful place to be. It's it's a place of order. It's a place when things work, when you know who you are, you know what you believe, you know where you're going, you know where you've come from. Uh, It's a lovely place to be. Order. And some of you are there tonight. I hope you stay there forever. It's a beautiful place to be. But then there is the angel. Uh, remember that word in the Greek means messenger. God sends a messenger who shows up and breaks all that nice order up. And it says they are filled with fear or anxiety. All of a sudden, this steady, stable state they've been in for thousands of years is kind of exploded because they have an encounter with this messenger of God. And, 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 and they get blown up in two ways. One in how the message comes and the other in what the message is. And the, how the message comes is that, it, that they come singing of the glory of God. The glory of the Lord shone around them. And, and of course, we've been Christians, many of us, so long that these verses are in every Christmas card every year. And it's just kind of like the adult in the Charlie Brown movies. And wah, 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 wah. It means nothing. It actually meant quite a bit. The word glory in the Greek means doxa. It's from the Hebrew kabod. It meant weight. And it literally meant the presence, the weight, the palpable weight and heaviness of the glory of God came and rested upon them tangibly and it scared them to death. And before we kind of jet by that as kind of that, well, that's Christmas card stuff. Let's get to the real story. No, I want to suggest, and I've spent my whole life listening to people's spiritual stories. Many people have had an encounter with the divine. Many people have had a moment when they encountered God's presence that unsettled them forever, changed them forever. They cannot ever go back. For some, it's happened at the deathbed of a loved one, the birth of a child. Uh, I know a person for whom it happened sitting in an art museum in Russia for eight hours looking at a painting. Thomas Merton, the monk, happened for him in a... Louisville, in the corner of 4th and Walnut, and he wrote about it. He said, I was in Louisville at the corner of 4th and Walnut in the center of the shopping district. I was suddenly overwhelmed with the realization that I loved all these people. 
And by the way, if you've ever read Early Merton, uh, you don't pick up a lot of that. Um, he was kind of a grumpy monk early, early on. And he says, I realize I love all these people. They were mine and I was theirs, that we couldn't be alien to one another, even though we were total strangers. It was like waking from a dream of separateness, of spurious self-isolation in a special world, the world of renunciation and supposed holiness. This sense of liberation from an illusory difference was such a relief and such a joy to me that I laughed out loud. I had the immense joy of being man, a member of a race in which God himself became incarnate, as if the sorrows and stupidities of the human condition could overwhelm me. Now I realize what we all are, and if only everybody could realize this, but it cannot be explained. There's no way of telling people that they are all walking around shining like the sun. (laughs) And if you've read the corpus of Merton's works, there's a dramatic shift after Fourth and Walnut, (laughs) and he goes to this much more loving, gracious uh, person. Jonathan Edwards, the great theologian who also could be grumpy, wrote this in his journal. And this changed him. Once, as I rode into the woods for my health in 1737, I got off of my horse in a retired place, as my manner commonly had been to walk in contemplation and prayer. And I saw the glory of the Son of God as mediator between God and man, and his wonderful, great, full, pure, and sweet grace and love and meek and gentle condescension. This grace that appeared so calm and sweet appeared also great above the heavens. The person of Christ appeared ineffably excellent, with an excellency great enough to swallow up all thought and conception. It continued as near as I can judge for an hour. This kept me the greater part of the time in a flood of tears and weeping aloud. I felt an ardency of soul to be what I know not otherwise how to express, emptied. I felt annihilated. I wanted to lie in the dust and just be full of Christ alone, to love him with a holy and pure love, to trust him, to live upon him, to serve and follow him to be perfectly pure with a divine and heavenly purity. Church history is filled with those stories, but your lives are filled with those stories. And maybe you're not as eloquent as Jonathan Edwards and you don't write that way, but many times God will come into a person's life, maybe once, it happened to me one time, maybe one time and you meet the glory of the living God and it changes you forever, it dissolves your categories. An encounter with God can move us from order to disorder. But the message that the angel brings does it too. The angel says, I've got good news for you. It's going to bring you great joy. There's been a Savior born today, and you will find him in a manger. Now, a Jewish person would have understood most of those terms or would have understood them. Uh, those were common ideas of being delivered, of a Savior, of a Lord, of a Messiah. That's what word Christ meant. They would have gotten all of that. What they never would have put together was this idea that somehow it would be through a baby. The greatest scholars hadn't figured that out. So, here's my point. God has revealed to these believers something new that disrupts their theological categories. And it just, it says it, it fills them with terror. <laughs> Has that ever happened to you? Have you ever been in a place where you thought, I think I know what God's doing here. I kind of think I know how this works. And then, boom. Somehow he sends a messenger. Sometimes the messenger's pain. Sometimes the messenger's a book. 
And you step back and you're filled with anxiety because you think, wait a minute, I thought I understood this. Maybe, maybe I got something wrong here. Looking back, I've been through this a couple of times. Here's a couple from my journey. It's okay if you haven't gone on the same journey. None of us have. Uh, I'll never forget. Um, I was trained in seminary, six arguments why the charismatic gifts never exist or don't exist today. I was sitting in a cabin. I was going through all six arguments, preparing a sermon. I came to the conclusion none of these arguments are biblical and about threw up. The whole world shifted. It's like, you have got to be kidding me. What do I do with this? I remember the time shortly before leaving my former church. began to look at the role of women in Scripture and came to the conclusion that we should base leadership on gifting and not gender. That was just so terrifying. And it was part of the reasons for the change in my career. I remember starting to to look at the role of justice and the poor and the gospel accounts, particularly the gospel of Luke. I remember preaching through the gospel of Luke and and realizing, you know, I know Jesus cares a lot about, about our souls, but he cares about our bodies. He cares about poverty. He cares about all this stuff. My gospel got bigger and it just totally rocked my world. Still is rocking my world. Right now, the one that I've been thinking a lot about is shame. Um, God has really been challenging me to rethink what does he really say about shame? And how does it differ from guilt? And how does he set us free from shame? It's come about in a couple of places. One was I've been teaching a class and uh, to the fellows, and it hasn't been going particularly well. I've been trying to persuade them of a particular point of view about racial reconciliation, and many of them aren't buying it, and I've been getting mad at them and wanting to give them bad grades. And, <laughs> and I was talking to a friend about, about this, and, and he got quiet for a moment, and he said, sounds like you're trying to shame them into believing the way that you do. In my own life, the other day, I was having this thought that I thought was the convicting work of the Holy Spirit. I was starting to confess over it and kind of beat myself over it. Then it occurred to me, are you sure that's the Holy Spirit? I don't think it was. And it's really pushed me into this unsettled space where now I'm starting to go back and ask, is that shame or is that the convicting guilt of the Holy Spirit? And I see how little grace really has made it into the deepest recesses of of my heart. I don't know what it might be for you. But has God sent a messenger into your life that's causing you to rethink a cherished belief? That can move us from order to disorder. And I want to point out again, it says they were filled with fear. So if you're going through that, one, it's okay, it's normal. A lot of us go through that where we re-examine what we've always thought was true. And two, 
it's probably going to make you scared. And that's okay. That's okay. Well, what do we do in these seasons? What do the angels do? Well, the angels respond. But before we look at their response, I just want to remind us, many times in the people of God, in the Bible, they do not respond to the messenger. Uh, it's called the prophets. <laughs> uh, Hosea 9.7, the people of Israel say, the prophet is a fool, the man with God's spirit is crazy. We don't like messengers coming and saying, I think you've missed the point here. We, we tend to kill them. As a matter of fact, I think that's one of the reasons why Jesus dies. Is he was kind, trying to come and realign the people with the real gospel, and so they killed him. And Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. It's just what we do. So one response in the disorder stage is to kill the messenger. To reject them. The shepherds show another way. The first thing they do is they say, in verse 15, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing. And I don't know how this happened, and I often wondered what what it would have looked like, but they have a conversation together about what they think they're hearing from God. I think that's really important when when you are in a place of disorder, that you don't do it by yourself. That's dangerous. Well, I listen to podcasts. Okay, so do I. I still think you shouldn't just rely on a podcast. I think you need to find a couple other people that are going on a similar journey and step back and say, can I just tell you what I think God is saying to me right now? Because let's be honest, we can be deceived, right? We could come under false teaching. And so I, th- I think we don't ever want to go on this journey alone. So I think you need to find some fellow folks that are trying to move through disorder to reorder and talk about it with them. Then the next thing that happens, it says, they go with haste and find Mary, Joseph, and Jesus. Uh, they, they respond to God even though they don't quite understand how it's all going to work out. And years ago, there was this study, most of you are too young to remember, it was called Experiencing God by Henry Blackaby, this wonderful Baptist pastor. And chapter 8 was called Adjusting Your Life to God. And I pulled it out again and he said, we adjust our lives to God so he can do through us what he wants to do. God is not our servant to make adjustment to our plans. We are his servants and we adjust our lives to what he's about to do. You cannot stay where you are and go with God at the same time. That last line's worth reading again. You cannot stay where you are and go with God at the same time. So if you are in a season of disorder and you're trying to move to reorder, have conversations with people who are going through something with you and then act on the next thing God has told you to do. Just do the next thing God has told you to do. And the shepherds do that. It says they return praising and glorifying God. They they return knowing God in a deeper way. They they move from 
disorder to reorder. So where are you tonight? Are you in verse 8? Are you in order? Rejoice. It's a good place to be. Praise God. Are you in verses 9 to 14? Disorder? I want to say to you that it's okay that many of us go through verses 9 to 14. And it's okay to feel anxious about it. Just embrace it. It's part of the journey. Or maybe you're in the reordering phase. Maybe you've been in disorder for a while and you're trying to put it back together again. Move there by talking with others about what you're hearing and doing the next thing that God has asked you to do. Let's pray.